My name is Stephen Hammond, and you're about to listen to a recording with Diana Jansen and her historic fight against sexual harassment in Canada. This was recorded on April 25, 2011. This is the second of three parts of the interview. Diana continues her story where the arduous legal process begins. And so you couldn't come to you couldn't come to any kind of resolution because I know that um, without knowing the details of what went on for yours, I I know that of course they try to resolve the stuff because most of the things actually don't go to a tribunal. So when they um, uh, when they couldn't come to an agreement or couldn't come to a settlement of some kind, then you went to a tribunal, which is a quasi judicial thing, but it's it's very judicial and they have to follow the law. What was that like to go through that process? Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, I, re I remember those days, parts of those days. Um, I felt like I was on trial, that, there, that I had to prove that, that this had happened, and there was nothing that I had that could prove that it happened. Um, in fact, at one point I remember the lawyer for, for Pharaoh saying, I suggest that you're making this up and I suggest that none of this ever happened and I guess because I was young and maybe it just bothered me so much I suggested in return I suggest that you're unreasonable and out of line here or words <laughs> to that effect <laughs> and uh, and I don't know what happened after that I just remember I didn't have to answer any more questions <laughs> at that point. Lawyers probably aren't used to uh, getting those kind of responses in return, especially when they're, well, when they're so preposterous, the things that they're suggesting. Well, just after several sentences of, of the, the lawyer suggesting one thing and suggesting another, I, I just suggested something else, and, and I, I, maybe I wasn't as, as dignified as I could have been, but... Um, <laughs> I, I was starting to get a little a little bothered because I realized that I I had nothing to say that could prove that it happened. There's no not like CSI shows nowadays and where you have you have microscopic and DNA evidence and and video cameras and and the types of surveillance that they have these days. It was it was between me and 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 the cook and, and the owner and that, that was it right and so basically what it came down to was your word that's right so there was one person who actually came forward um, other than you and, and tracy Governor to support what went on were there others that came forward uh, to give testimony no others were were willing to come forward um Sorry, this is really hard to talk about. <laughs> okay. um, the, there were a couple of people who could have been witnesses, but who declined because the, they they had a stake in in wanting to stay on at at Pharaohs and 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 make a living, and, and they didn't want to risk losing that, so they weren't willing to come forward. Now, not knowing what the answer to this is, um, were they having to deal with um, other issues, let's say from Tommy or, or others at the restaurant, or was it just you and Tracy Govero who were dealing with um, with negative attention from um, from others? My understanding from talking with these women was that the reason they couldn't come forward was because they were dealing with not necessarily the exact same thing that I was going through, but 
situation in their employment there that wasn't ideal and and they just they just didn't want to come forward yeah they they didn't want to lose their jobs they didn't want to risk their family relationships and when you are trying to do the right thing it it leaves you out there all alone yeah yeah and 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 sometimes i think it's important for people to recognize that sometimes it's going to be awfully lonely when you're trying to do the right thing oh yeah hmm. all right so you won the case um you and ms govero won the case it was uh, quite an extensive case i uh, sorry quite an extensive uh, decision that he wrote mr henseleff wrote um it was about 140 pages or thereabouts and in the end, um, you ended up getting um, almost $4,000 um, for lost wages and then also for exemplary damages, which at the time was considered actually quite a bit of money. Um, how did you feel about that, um, about that win? Well, a couple, of, a couple of points to make. One is that the win was the win, and that's all that mattered. Right. The dollars attached to it were irrelevant and in terms of what it represented it, it it was curious to me that that anybody would be successful in trying to put a dollar amount to it and the other point is that it was an award it wasn't the reality certainly i've never seen a penny of that right um but it was to make a point it, like you say, it wasn't to be punitive, but um, but to make a point, and, and and I think at the time it did make a point. And um, and as a matter of fact, when I spoke to Yudi um, Henseleff, he actually said that it was his desire to actually make a statement. Now he had to be within the law, um, but to make a statement because he said at the time that was considered like a lot of money, and. Um, you know, for a lot of people in, in my line of work, I hear them where they go, well, you know, gee, $4,000 or $5,000 or maybe even $10,000, who would go through that to do it? And just as you're saying, it, it, it can't be the money that people are doing it for because it's very, very little. When time was running out, I was approached. I can't remember who called me. It was, I don't know if it was the Human Rights Commission or Manitoba Courts. I don't even remember. But they said that there was a, a time limit on um, on things, and, and did I want to pursue payment, like the the the, the dollars that were attached to the case, and and I didn't. It oh. wasn't important. Oh, payment from um, from the restaurant, for example. Yeah. Okay. All right. And and of uh, course. I wish I could remember the facts surrounding that. I just it was one of those things where it was. Um, it was just so long ago, and it was, I don't care. And I guess when you don't care, you know, to pursue something, you're not going to commit all of these <laughs> the details to memory. I just remember the call, and it was like, no thanks, thanks, but no thanks. But it was it was a long process. I mean, you went through, um, it was years before your process ended. And just, and just so that I, I don't have to remember going back to it, to be very clear, you just never got any of that money, did you? No. Yeah, and so you would have been eligible for that money and and then interest on it as well, um, which would have been, well, actually at the time, I think interest rates were like 18% or something. But, but regardless, uh, a lot of people are under the mistaken impression that getting an award or getting a judgment is one thing, 
and actually getting any money is a whole different thing. And I don't, I don't even mean whether you want it or not. It's just in our Canadian system, it's not that easy to actually collect on the awards. And, um, and a lot of people sort of think somehow it's this great windfall. And it's really important for them to know that it's a very difficult process. No, the, the windfall was the Supreme Court decision. Yeah. All right. Well, and, and let's lead up to that uh, without taking too long. Um, the restaurant uh, appealed the decision, and so they agreed with the decision, but they actually reduced uh, the damages considerably. And I'm just sort of wondering, um, how, did, how did you feel about that? Well, at this point, I think enough time had gone by that I was feeling a little bit more confident, and I thought, for smart people, they sure didn't make a good call. <laughs> I thought they obviously don't know everything. <laughs> now that now that was actually just one judge for the Manitoba Court of Queen's Bench. Then it went. Then it was appealed actually to the Manitoba Court of Appeal, and um, they actually dismissed your case altogether and said mm-hmm. that an employer is not responsible for the actions that you endured from Tommy to Cook. And um, I guess if you had that feeling about the Manitoba Court of Queen's Bench, you must have felt the same way about the Court of Appeal. Well, uh, you know, surprisingly not. I, I was really, really disappointed, and it just, it told me that that it had all been for nothing. Huh. And and I, I was truly, truly disappointed, and yet it didn't take long before I felt that, that it was a blessing in disguise because I, I don't know that there was any other way for, for it to go forward to the Supreme Court except through appealing the decision. Right. And and just just to be clear, because, again, most people wouldn't know this, uh, Justice Huban, he's retired. Um, he was on the Court of Appeal, uh, one of the two judges. Uh, the third judge, unfortunately, had died before um, the decision was given. But he said he was, quote, amazed that an employer would be responsible for the actions of their employees and was also amazed that sexual harassment could be considered harassment based on sex. And then Justice Twaddle, he also, Kerr Twaddle, he's also uh, recently retired. And he was the other judge who came to more or less the same conclusion with slightly different reasons. And um, one of the things that, that was interesting is that when it did get to the Supreme Court of Canada, they made it very clear that these two judges were just completely out of the loop, that all other courts, including two other courts of appeals in other parts of Canada, had all concluded that sexual harassment is a form of sex discrimination. And they had concluded that, of course, the employer is responsible for what went on. So, I mean, without you, you know, you're not a lawyer, you weren't a lawyer at the time, but it must have felt as though, my goodness, with all this other stuff going on that would have appeared to be in your favor, Yet these top judges of Manitoba decided against you. It must have been kind of. It must have been perplexing at the very least. Well, it was, and it went from perplexing to to extremely disappointing to what do they know, anyways? You know, just the whole <laughs> the whole the whole gambit. You know, because I'm, I, you know, yes, I was a waitress, and 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 yes, it's it's considered a, a lower level job, but I'm not stupid. Right. <laughs> and, right. And and I'm trying to interpret their their judgment, and to me it was it was um, ridiculous. But at the same time, I, I flip flop. I mean, I still I still have self doubts about my choices at the time, and the fact I think that one of the judges in in his statement had actually compared what I had gone through to a boy pulling my pigtails in the classroom. Mm-hmm. 
and and I thought he just doesn't know, and that that kind of saddened me. But we do have processes in place for appeals, and and it went through that process. And now, did how much involvement did you have at the time that it went? Um, from the Court of Appeal to being to, to try to get the Supreme Court, because lots of people try to get the Supreme Court of Canada, and they turn down most requests. So how involved were you and Tracy Govero, or, or was that already, at that point, was that taken out of your hands and it was more of a bigger legal issue? I know that the um, legal education um, organization, LEAF, for women, mm-hmm. they got involved. So um, what involvement did you have, if, if any, when it uh, was decided at the Court of Appeal and then deciding to want to take it to the Supreme Court of Canada? You know, I was, um, I didn't have to give any testimony or anything. I didn't have to be there physically. I didn't have to do anything. And LEAF didn't even have to include me in the process at all. But they did call my home. Someone called my home and, and, and identified themselves as a representative of LEAF and explained what the organization was about and actually asked if I was okay with them proceeding to to take my case and present it in, in, in that setting at the Supreme Court level. And uh, I thought, that's awfully nice <laughs> that, that you're asking because, you know, at this point really it was a, just a legal issue that was out of my hands. But I, I really to this day appreciated that they recognized that I was part of that. I wasn't just a throwaway from the legal process. So, you know, again, that t- that took quite a while, and so it went all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada. Now, um, I don't suppose you made it to Ottawa for the um, for the hearings, or, or did you? No, no, right. I didn't. Okay, so were you kept informed of what was happening, or um, or you know, because presumably, of course, it was it, it was in your personal interest. Um, to see what was going on with this. So how did you feel about the process of what was going on? Um, like I say, it was it was beyond me at that point, but I was very appreciative of being informed as things moved forward. Right. And, um, you know, like I say, I, I felt that I was still a significant part of the process and not, uh, not somebody... Not a nobody, not a, I didn't feel insignificant thanks to them. Well, that's nice. That's a nice testimony. Maybe people will feel like contributing to them. It's very important for people to recognize that the the huge legal process in order to get to our top court or, or even the court of appeal of a province is beyond the average person's ability, not not just the financial stuff, it's just beyond them. And to have organizations who take on these important cases is just really, really vital. Be sure to listen to the third part of the interview, where Diana talks about the victory of the Supreme Court of Canada and her reflections after all these years have gone by. 